Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Soul is a production of Through the Word. That's the intro. Time for the show. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Welcome to the Soul Podcast. A podcast all about grace in the real world, real lives, tough issues, and the love of God all wrapped up in one crazy podcast. Brad Hornback is here as always. Welcome back, Brad. Hey, good to be back. Thank you, Chris. Mike Bonomo is in the studio with us again. Returned for one more episode as we talk through addiction, recovery, and grace. This is part four of four. Mike is an addiction specialist and one of my best friends. Mike, welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Now, today we are talking recovery. And for that, we're taking the church to the addicts and the addicts to church. And I think for some, that is a little bit scary and on both sides. I think the addicts and the church both have some fears to overcome here. But the reality is God loves sinners of all shapes and sizes. Whatever your sin, God loves you right where you are. But the church meeting the sinner right where they are is easier said than done. The grace of God calls sinners to become his church. So when that happens... You get some scary moments, but you also get some great stories. So we're going to share some of those stories. Now, I want to open up with a question. What do you think about this one, guys? Who benefits more, the addict who comes to church to find healing or the church that gets to be God's hands and feet in the hmm. healing process? Yeah, my short answer is both. Because as as the recovering addict, I get to experience the grace of God at, at work through his people but also in ministry as a pastor and a counselor, I get to extend that grace to the next sinner who needs it. I'm going to agree with him. <laughs> that was a, a phenomenal call. answer, and I'm not going to – good job, Mike. That's, that's a good Thank call. You. <laughs> and I think for you, Mike, you've gotten to be in, in both shoes, and to be the recovering addict coming into church, and now you get to be the church reaching out the hands and feet of God. And uh, for me – to be in a front row seat for life change is a beautiful thing. Amen. And I was invited to become part of a church where you were, and we'll tell some of that story. But to see the power of God transform a life, front row seat, and even to be a part of that mm. is really incredible. I can't wait to tell that Amen. story. But actually, I want to start off with a different story. I want to back up to one of the first times that my life and my ministry encountered the challenge of clean-cut church kids facing drug culture, drug life, and the, the full darkness of it. And this was actually kind of a scary story for me. So I want to take you guys back there. It's about 2004. I was a youth pastor. I love being a youth pastor. I had a great group of kids. I was leading students on a mission to San Francisco. Now, we, uh, we hooked up with a group called Youth with a Mission, YWAM, and found out that they had a mission base in the heart of San Francisco. Now, I had heard about some of it, but there's one thing hearing the kind of work they do and actually arriving that we <laughs> I'd had about 15 high school kids, mostly girls, almost all of them homeschool kids from suburban Christian families with some pretty sheltered lives these kids led, but love God, love people, right. love sinners. Hypothetically, in the if we ever encounter one, no, of course everyone's a sinner. <laughs> yeah. But you know, what we've I'm heard saying. of them. <laughs> Not all of them had encountered <clears throat> sin in all of its darkness. So we show up, take a plane, 
get on the BART, get off the BART. We're, we're walking in. All the, all the girls had suitcases way too big. I told them, I told them, don't bring too much. But, you know, they, they're wheeling these suitcases along the sidewalk as we get to the Tenderloin. The Tenderloin is in San Francisco. If you've been to San Francisco, Tenderloin is like the ground zero for sin and drugs and homelessness and darkness. And, and that's where YWAM has set up a base. We're walking along the sidewalk, and my my poor group of homeschool kids is like wheeling their suitcases around. Druggies on the street, literally shooting up right in front right. of us. It's happening right there. There, there's yelling going on. There's screaming. Uh-huh. There's a drug deal going on, and we're just walking in the base. Like, I hope I got the wrong address. <laughs> <laughs> but we roll in, and it it hits me. I'm the leader, and I'm in shock. What did I just do? Mm. I just brought kids into this situation. Not only did I have 15 high school kids, I had my seven-year-old daughter who was oblivious to most of what was going on, except that people were shouting at each other. <laughs> and I'm thinking, mm. what are we doing here? Now, that story is not done. That's I set up that story to bring us to the heart of the challenge here. That story, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I finish that. Remind me. Yes, we I, need to get back to that because I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen here. What were you doing? <laughs> But the heart of our challenge, how do we, as the church, reach out to st- to sinners and still protect our kids? Mm. How do we heal the sick without catching what they got, if you know what I mean, spiritually speaking? Mm. Now, this applies to any sin, but we're going to talk addiction and recovery and where the church fits in. For that, we're going to jump back into Mike's story. Now, we got part one of Mike's story back in episode one, drugs and gangs, from using to dealing the downward spiral that landed you in jail until the grace of God collided with your path. Mm-hmm. And like Paul says, that grace was not in vain. Amen. Mike, you've gone from dope dealer to hope dealer, and that's the story that we want to get today. And you, you, brought, you brought your sweatshirt. Repping the shirt today. If, you, yeah. if you're watching, if you're watching on <laughs> video, Mike is, is sporting the hope dealer. Now, uh, so we're going to get your story, but Brad, first, before we get into some some touchy issues here, lay some ground rules for us. Yes, we have four rules of engagement. First one is respect the story. I mean, these are going to be some serious stories. We're going to talk about some serious issues. Story comes first. Mm. Uh, it's 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 your life. It's some other people's life. Sanctity of the story. Uh, humility before wisdom. Uh, good questions come before good answers. Amen. We're here to understand and grow. Uh, grace always for every issue, for every life, there is grace. We intend to find it through these stories. And lastly, God exalted, which is probably the most important here. We seek the Lord in every story. Uh, you know, it, it, it's his word. It's not ours. And so through that, it's going to keep us grounded and keep us moving forward. So let's do it, Chris. All right. Mm. Amen. Ground rules Amen. are laid. Let's get into the story. Enough of the rules. Mike. <laughs> you can't just cast off the rules. You can't throw my rules out, Mike. <laughs> All right, Mike, you can do this. Tell us uh, tell us how you got from dealing dope to dealing hope. You're saved. You're clean. Now, take us to your calling. Now, when we left off in a previous episode, God found you in the pit, and he gave you a word. So why don't you take us back to that word and tell us how God brought it about? Yeah, it was um, – he gave me a lot of different scriptures, but the one that really stood out was Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 which says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Mm-hmm. He has put a new song in my mouth. It says, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear 
and will trust in the Lord. That's yeah. a beautiful passage. It's great. It was awesome. But that day I read it, I wasn't there yet, right? Yeah. Picture me there in the back of that school. If you remember, I'm all messed up. I'm strung out. You know, I'm still, I'm on the street. I got a soggy, wet Bible pages sticking together. I'm just, I have the desire to seek the Lord again, and I want to get clean. And here I am. I just wasn't at this Psalm 40 point yet. It was more like, I was more like the demoniac in Mark chapter 5, you know, just uh, other than, you know, being clothed. I was clothed, but I was running around cra- like a crazy man, you know, <laughs> in psychosis. And, yeah, I was I wearing my that. underwear, um, <laughs> unlike the demoniac. But there was a lot of demonic activity going on in my life. There were things going on in my head. I was in psychosis. I was, you know, just a mess. Um, and I, I tell more of that story back in another episode. But yeah. Um, and that demoniac story, that one's powerful to me, that Jesus went to the scariest guy in mm. town. Everybody knew this guy, and everybody turned the other way. Right. And a couple times they tried to just handle him, to chain him down, to just prevent him from hurting somebody, but nobody ever helped him. Right. And Jesus showed up and helped. And uh, and that's where, where you felt like you were. Yeah, Jesus went out of his way to get to this guy. Um, and, you know... When by the time Jesus is done with him, the demons are cast out of the guy, and he, the one that they know is the crazy, the crazy guy running around screaming and cutting himself and harming himself and potentially harming others, they see this guy sitting with Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and it says, and they were afraid. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. There's a connection there with my story. I didn't know it till later, but um, so then Jesus tells the guy, you know, he says, I want to go with you. Wherever you're going, I want to go. Jesus says, you go home and tell all your friends the great, tell your family, your friends, everybody, the great things God's done for you and how he's had compassion on you. I wasn't really there yet, right? But it was, it was, a, it was a calling. It was a promise. And, yeah. and I held on to it, and today it's come full circle. Um, yeah, and I don't want to tell the story. We're telling the story in fast-forward mode here, and I don't want to give anybody the, the picture that you get saved and then suddenly life's all cleaned up. You're not doing drugs. You got no temptations, and you just get hired by the church, and you're a pastor all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. no magic, no magic beans here, right? No magic beans. You hit fast forward a couple of times there. Yeah, yeah. Life is a process, and I and I remember watching you through some of that process off and on. And but what I love about Jesus, among many things, I love Jesus' ability to see us as we will be, and I think God giving you Psalm 40 was a part of His seeing what you will be. He meets you where you are now, but he sees you where you will be, where yeah. he's taking you. Right. So take us to some of that. Take us to, to let, let's hit the fast forward button, knowing that, <laughs> that a lot of words came from the Lord to you, a lot of patience on the Lord's part, and a lot of healing process came through. But let's let's move forward about and, and tell us about the, the work that God was doing in your life in the same way that he did with the demoniac as he begins telling you to go tell it. Yeah, you know, I come out of that lifestyle, you know, and God starts breaking those negative cycles I was in. And I I didn't know what God might be up to with somebody like me. You know, I'm like, I, I, you know, here's what's left of my life, Lord. You know, you didn't have it. I ain't got much left. But, you know, I know you can do whatever you want with it. But, um, you know, I didn't know other than what he had begun to tell me in his word and what he had spoken to me before and the passion he put in my heart. I knew that passion was planted there by him. Um, and you know, cause I was as good as dead, you know, now I'm alive, right? I was living as if I was lost, but now I had some direction, some purpose. I had hope. 
right? Hope dealer. So um, I was as blind as they come. Now I'm seeing things. Now I'm gaining some insight. God's teaching me. He's giving me understanding. As the psalmist said, give me understanding according to your word. That was where I was getting it from. And um, I was learning who God was and who I was created to be by him and in him and for him. And what started happening was that desire grew to just to just share what God was showing me. There's a, a saying in AA it says, I got to give this thing away. And Alcoholics Anonymously say, I got to give this thing away so I can keep it. I got to give this thing away so I can keep it. And it mm. just sounds like if I don't keep working to help other people, I'm going to lose what I got. But I... I always say I'm not trying to write the rewrite the big book Alcoholics Anonymous or anything, yeah. but what I would do is rephrase it a little bit to say if you really got this thing, you can't help but want to give it away. You're gonna desire. Your heart's gonna burn. Yeah. You know the word's gonna burn you like Jeremiah. You know in his bones. You're gonna be like I have to. I I not. I don't gotta do this. I give this thing away. I get to. Yeah. I get to, and I want to. So. Um, I'd met the real Jesus and, and knowing there was a lot of hypocrisy out there and a lot of fake stuff and a lot of false representations of him. I wanted people to know this real God that I was getting to know and that I learned was knowable. He loves me. He must love them. He's all powerful. He can do what he wants. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with Trip Lee. He's a Christian rapper yeah, um, Trip Lee. Oh, yeah. and he, uh, and a pastor. And he, there's a line in one of his songs. He says, I see his glory in his word and I got to shout it. He says, I'm just trying to figure out how I can shout the loudest. And that was my, that's my story. I was trying to find how can I proclaim this the clearest to the most people as often as I can as, yeah. and in the most effective way I can. Yeah, I love that line. I think that's like it's right in my heart. That's yeah. part of my right? testimony. That's yeah. why I'm doing this. I want to shout it the loudest. I remember when I was a brand new believer, I had this picture in my head of, of what my life was like. I had this picture of... I had a blindfold around my over my eyes, and I was just groping through life like everybody else. But when it got taken off, when I heard the gospel, when I knew the truth of God, I it's like I looked around, and my first reaction is, I can see. Yeah, this, yeah. One of the very first yeah. things that I saw was that all of the people I loved, everybody around me still had that blindfold on. Mm. And I needed mm. to do something about it. And they're all hurting each other just like I had been groping around trying to figure out life in the darkness. And I got to help them out. And as much as some people don't right. like you messing with their blindfold, I got to figure out how I can help, how I can shout it. So take us into that. Tell us what that looked like in your life as God starts setting it on your heart. You got to tell other people about it. Yeah, yeah. God just starts tapping my heart, you know. Um, Everywhere I go, on the streets, you know, I'd be at the, the mall, Bellaterra, you know, going down Beach Boulevard, whatever, different scenarios, whether I was walking or, or driving with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Um, th- let me tell you this one story. Uh, for example, like we would just be driving down the road. It got to be such a regular thing. Me and Lisa stopping whenever we saw somebody on the street. It'd be like we'd be at like hit a red light there'd be somebody at the bus stop and I'd look over and she'd look over at me and she'd be like U-turn and I'd be like U-turn and that meant <laughs> we awesome. knew what it meant like turn That's around awesome. go talk to this guy <clears throat> excuse me and this one time in particular we're at a gas station had no plans to talk to anybody we're just she's getting gas in the car I'm in the passenger seat I happen to hear this, this somebody getting yelled at or something like you know from behind the gas station I figured I was coming out from behind then I see a guy that works there he's kind of doing this like pointing a finger and yelling at this guy and going like this like pointing out I can't see the guy but I get out of the car and I go back there and it's this guy he's sitting there next to the dumpster and he's looking pretty weathered pretty messed up he's got a half a bottle of wild turkey or something next to him 
Um, he, he smells pretty bad, you know, urine and everything else. And just God just taps my heart. Like, I'm like, what do I say to this guy? And God says, and he, you don't say anything right now. You sit with him. I'm like, oh, okay. So I sit down, I, I get down on the ground next to him. I put my arm around him and I mean, he smells, he smells bad. Right. Mm. And I know he's intoxicated. Um, I know he's not really, he's not thinking clearly. He's totally in I know the guy, the gas station worker's trying to tell him, you know, you got to go. Just get rid of him. Yeah. And the guy sees me sitting down with him. And I look over at Lisa and she's just like, you know, give me that, that nod, and that wink. And, and I'm like, hey, man, what you doing, man? I'm like, what, what's, what's going on with you, man? Like, you've been out here for a while. And he's, yeah. And he's just looking at me, looking at me, my eyes like, why do you care? <laughs> you know, he didn't say that. And I said, you know, I feel like God just wanted me to, sit down next. I said, I don't know where you're at with God or faith or anything like that, but I feel like God himself wanted me to sit down with you and tell you he loves you and hasn't forgotten about you. And um, wherever, however far you think you've gone, gone from him, you know, he's, he's always right there. He's just one step back. And, you know, and the guy starts crying his eyes out right away. I start crying. I look over, Lisa's crying. She's getting out of the car. And I'm like, that's my cue. Like, can we pray for you? And I can't remember his name, but uh, I mean, and this is in Huntington beach, right? This is like in a neighborhood where you look around like this is not something you think you're going to bump into, right? Just like my life didn't turn out the way I thought it would, you know, being from Huntington Beach either. But we pray for him. I don't know what happened to him, but there are countless other stories like that where we encounter people and God just breaking our hearts for them. And some of them we got to see him later and, you know, God changed their lives and some, some we haven't. But now I, to me, that story, that's, that's the Good Samaritan got living it out today. And I have to admit that my heart, my difficulty is in human nature is to be the priest, the Levite who, you know, sees the unclean guy and goes <laughs> on the other side of the road to avoid him because that's what most of us do when somebody's down and out. I can't help. I, I can't do anything for him. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, it was, but if, if you don't talk to him, who is? Right. Anybody talk to that guy all day? That's what he actually, what he told me was, I forgot that part of the story. He said, you know what? No one's talked to me. And like, I can't remember if he said like three or four days. He's like, no one's said a word to me except that guy just yelled at me. That's and, you, and you. I was like, wow. Like that's, I think it was when I started crying. I was like, man, this guy, talk yeah. about the isolation, you know, mm-hmm. and just the feeling like, you know, inferior and all that. And I remember being there myself. Yeah. Yeah. And rem- you remember your story when, when Big Mike Came and talked to you when you're sitting on your own. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people are putting off, putting out that that wall that says, don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. But God's going to push was. you past it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to fast forward here to, to church, where this meets with church. Because I guarantee you there's a lot of people listening who are hearing that story and say, all right, well, well that's Mike's calling because he knows what it was like to be there. But I want to bring you guys a little forward to a little place called Refuge Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I got invited to be part of a church known uh, as as Refuge. I had been part of Refuge Huntington Beach, which you're a part of, yes. but they planted out a church in Long Beach. And Long Beach is is a different place. Long Beach <laughs> is the place where you expect to encounter <laughs> guys on the side of the street like that. And yeah. I got invited there and Refuge was a church like I had not been to before. It was it wasn't just reaching out to the down and out, it was right in there with them. We we started out, when I got invited, it was meeting outside in the park. And I can tell you, I'll tell you a story of one of the times I was I was preaching. So I'm preaching outside and I love preaching the Bible. And uh, 
and we open up to if anybody's got a word to share from the Lord. And so we open up for see if anybody wants to share anything. And a, a sweet girl, 20-something, walks up and decides she's not just going to share where she is. She walks up, grabs the microphone, and she's not sharing. It's not exactly a Bible verse. She just starts spouting off na- nonsense. All I remember was Scooby-Doo came up a lot. Yeah. Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo. There was a lot of Scooby-Doo. And she's pointing to the Bible. What's that? Who are you? Who's that? And she was, she was not in her right mind. Yeah. And my heart's breaking for her, but... I'm also in this pastor mode where I need to run a church service here. I need I have a Bible study that's ready to teach yeah. and this precious girl is out of her mind. Mm-hmm. And what do I do? Now, I would love to say that we just laid hands on her and prayed and she was healed and everything was fine. I, I don't know what she was on or whether this was a mental illness issue. Right. I, I don't know where it was, but I can say that church ended that day with the, one of our, our ladies stepped up and, and took her aside and talked with her and showed her grace and showed her compassion. Mm-hmm. And by the time church w- was done and cleaned up, there was a group of leaders w- who most of them have no experience with drug addiction or they just have a heart that cares. That God saved them one way or another. And they circled around her and prayed and she knew she was loved. Yeah. Now, I can't say she was healed because not all, every story ends like that. I can right. say I've seen the down and out, get reached, find healing, find growth. There are some great stories. But that's the heart of, of that old church. Now, now Mike was there before I was. So, so Mike, I, w- I want you to, to take us there. Take us in Long Beach and tell us what's the heart of, of this church. Well, <clears throat> it's really, we always say, we, we used to say, and I, I think we still say, about refuge Long Beach in particular, that we feel like we found like the pulse, like where God is just his heart is beating, and like where he wants to meet with people. And um, you know, by the time, by the time I got into you know being involved in planning a church, I was a part of the original core team. You know, I knew I was called the ministry. You know, Lisa and I were serving in different capacities at Refuge Huntington. But uh, you know, I, I always say, fast forward. <laughs> Long story short, church planting wrecked me. It wrecked me in the in like some of the hardest yet best ways. And I, I saw something that I could really relate to. The, the church was, the church where the churches were hurting people. They were kicking people, kicking the wounded while they were down, pouring salt in open wounds. Mm-hmm. The church, Christians, you know, were, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, supposedly in the name of Christianity, were really hurting people, judging yeah. people, um, place, placing burdens on that didn't belong. Um, I think about... Yeah. Um, uh, Barbara, who, you know, Barbara's one of our people who, you know, Barbara, she's, yeah. uh, you know, been faithfully uh, going to Refuge Zombie. She was a part of Refuge Recovery for a long time. She, you know, she's discipling other women. She's in recovery. She's got a, uh, a couple, at least a few years clean now. She's told her testimony a couple of times. But she started coming to Refuge Zombies on an invite by one of our other guys. Uh, um, we call him Popeye. He's now passed away, but... Um, he, his story is amazing too, but Barbara was invited. Hey, they got free breakfast. Come check it out. You know what I mean? Something's going on here. Okay. She starts coming around. She's loaded every time. I know it. You know, she's getting high. She's got mental health issues when she talks to me and, and she keeps giving me this, like checking me out. Look, every time, you know, like I, I get, I uh, talk to her and, uh, I got her number. I'm like, let me, let me, let me get one of the ladies to bug you, you know, this week or whatever. And, and I passed her number to my wife, and, and she's like, I don't know how to deal with people like that, mental health issues. I'm like, okay, I'll reach out to her every now and then. 
hopefully we see her next week. And whenever she wouldn't show up, I would text her and I'd be like, how you doing? And, and she brought that up later. Like, you know, the pastor would text me like, Hey, what's up? And it, she said it'd be the perfect timing. I'd be out there ready to commit suicide. I would be on a good one. I'd have like, be ready to stick a needle in my arm or whatever. Um, or, or ready to turn my back on God and like thinking God had forgotten about me. She'd like, blink, my phone would go off and it's people from the church or the pastor himself going, how you doing? Praying for you. And she's like, that was weird. <laughs> and she told me one day at church, she said, you know, how long do you guys like give people to like for, you know, their lives to start cleaning up and stuff like that? And I said, however long it takes Jesus to walk you through your process, you know, and I'm like, and I thought it was a strange question. She starts, a tear starts coming down, right? She said, you know, because the church I've been going to, she's like, I'm going to be here every Sunday now because the church, the other church I was going to, they kicked me out. The pastor says, you know, you're, you're still using, you're taking too long to grow. You can't come here anymore. And that just, it hurt me and it made me angry. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I was, you know, I was like, where's this church again? You know, like, let's take a stroll That's down sad. there. But, you know, I had to get over that part. But, you know, people were just really um, needing to be met right where they were. And that I could relate to because that's what God did with me through people like Big Mike. And so I knew my calling was, all right, let's go get the people that won't come to church. Let's go meet them where they're at. You know, because yeah. Jesus reaches down to the pit. I, I want to do it, too. Yeah. And I want to be very clear that this is not about our church is better than yours. I don't believe in that stuff. Right. <laughs> We're not in a competition. There's not a bunch of churches out there fighting to be who's got the best program, who's reaching people the best. We all mm-hmm. screw up. We're, we're all messed up. We're, we're all trying to get church done right. And church does, there's enough sinners out there for all of us. We don't need yeah. to be in a competition over who's got the I'm best one church. Of them. But <laughs> I also, I also want to say that there's a lot of people who've been hurt by church, and it's important for us to, to recognize that in mm-hmm. one way or another – and at some point, I'm probably the pastor who was guilty of saying something stupid from the pulpit yeah. that it happens. But a lot of people have been hurt by church. We got to be sensitive to that. Mm-hmm. And it is a really, it's a difficult issue for a pastor to know how to balance out. Like, I want to reach the sinners, but I want to protect the kids and protect yeah. all of us. And where do we find that balance? So I want to dig into that. We got some more to cover here. But let's uh, let's say I want to get a couple of questions, then we're going to get into our our theology throwdown to hit oh, that yes. issue. <laughs> I want to I want to hit that yeah. issue. Where how do we find the balance biblically? But first, two quick questions: Why is church essential to recovery? Why do you think the church is necessary for somebody who's in recovery? What do you think about that, Mike? Mm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know that I would say the church itself is essential to recovery, but since I'm recovering from the effects of sin, like you said earlier, you know we all are. I need to be where others are seeking to recover and learn to grow, Um, you know, while holding myself accountable, being accountable to others who know the stumbling blocks that I'll encounter along the way. Right. Um, And maybe know me enough to know what my specific struggles are. And they'll pray for me. You know, I needed new friends. Right. I had some old ones I had to cut off. I had to shut the door. Even people I grew up with. That was hard. But I needed to make new friends. For me, everything had to change. I heard it once said, like, God doesn't want much from you, just everything you got, you know. It's like nothing has, not much has to change, just your whole life, you know. But let Jesus do it. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> you know. But uh, so much, uh, being a part of the fellowship was so key uh, for me in the beginning, and still is, because the lifestyle and the people and the, I was hanging with the places I was hanging out at were not conducive to my recovery <laughs> outside of the church. 
Yeah. So. The the addict who's in recovery needs a place to heal. Mm-hmm. That, that's why we call our church refuge. It's a safe place to find healing. Right. And that could be whether it's somebody who's addicted to drugs or whatever kind of sin, they need that place to heal. Mm-hmm. But you're always trying to balance off like, but wait, I'm trying to protect the kids that are in church. I'm trying to keep mm-hmm. them safe. And and those who are healing. So how do I keep the bad element away? So let's turn that around. Why do you think that recovery is an essential part of church? How is that healthy for the church itself to be right there where people are recovering? I think that people need to see the real deal in action. They need to see real restoration happening. And as raw as it may start, they need to see how that takes place. Um, you know, I think more ministries that deal directly with these type of issues are needed within the churches because, you know, what I said last time, it's not, it's, you know, I didn't fit in anywhere. I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere for a while because there's such a stigma on addiction and mental health and, and all these things and gangs and ex-gang bangers and people with tattoos and whatnot, you know, it, it, like like me, like like people like me, <laughs> I say people like me, not that I'm of those people, but like that's that's the thought we carry around sometimes. It's like, I'm not going to fit in with them. There's no way like the average church going Joe is going to be able to relate to me. Like I'm too rough on the edges. Like, and I can't relate to his little problems, like the wrong amount of Parmesan cheese on his spaghetti tonight. You know, like I'm like, you know what I mean? Like that was my thought in the beginning. I'm just being real. So that that could be a so, major issue though too, know, Mike. Okay, yeah, come on. I mean, yeah. You know, like I guess I am half Italian, but anyway, <laughs> But, you know, like among the general population, as it were, you know, like I, you know, just most people have a certain, um, can, they have their own preconceived notions about people that struggle with addiction and mental health issues. And within the church, unfortunately, it's even, it's the same or not worse. You know, Christians that struggle with addiction feel like they get treated like they're different than, Yeah. you know, and that's not fair. Yeah. I can say as one who I never dealt with addictions, I shared in, in the last episode about, you know, I messed around with raves, but I was never the one that really got brought into the darkness. As a believer, it has been so powerful and important throughout my life and my ministry to have a front row seat to the power of God changing a life. Mm-hmm. And I need to see that. And I would say as a youth pastor, I made the mistake sometimes of trying to protect my kids too much from that element. And that, that trip yeah. to San Francisco I shared with you, I can fast forward a little bit from that first encounter, like, what are we doing here? This is this is crazy. But there was a reality that happened there that none of my kids were like, wow, that looks tempting. That guy's shooting up right on the street. Uh-huh. They're almost going to fight each other. I'd like to live that life. Yeah. Actually, my life growing up was the more dangerous route because my first encounter with drugs was a rave right. where it was all lights and music and fun. And it was... You know, it was healing, right? It was like the devil shining a light in your eyes so you can't see what's happening back in this darkness. And you're like, ooh, shiny thing. Mm. What these kids got to see was drugs are not a shiny thing. That's ugly. But then as the week went on, they got to see the love of God changing people. Right. Right. Now it wasn't it wasn't happening right off the street. What they saw was the people at that mission base were reaching one life at a time, showing the love of God, helping people out on the long haul. It was just a week-long trip for us, but we got to see a glimpse of how that was happening there. Yeah. And I was determined, my, my, my daughter I shared was, was seven at the, at the time, and she's not getting tempted into that. But she's 21 now, and she's lived a yeah. lifetime where she's gotten to see, front row, God loves people. Yeah, I want my kids to, to get a front row seat for the reality side of drugs and for God's love stepping into that situation. 
Right. All right. I think I've taken this a little too far because it's about that time. I'm getting signal from the timekeeper. It's that time. It's about that time. Theology Throwdown. I hate to interrupt, but uh, but we got to do this. It's time to break from our story and wrestle with the issues at hand in the Word of God. Brad, we need some ground rules for this, so uh, so throw it down so we can dig in. So here's the deal. Uh, before we get to that, you know, basically church and recovery go together like peanut butter and jelly. Okay, yeah, I you laugh, you laugh, right? You laugh. Uh, you know, addicts, recovering <laughs> addicts. Um, you know, there's a lot of dirt. And to some, that, that seems dangerous. You know, you, basically, we have kids there, right? We're, we're bringing mm-hmm. our elderly there. We're, we're, everything, we're, we got to be careful. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to give you a question in just a second. First, we got to have the rules of the throwdown. Uh, read the verse, apply it to the, to the question. No real discussion, right? No real discussion. Keep All it right. brief. Uh, penalty flags will be given. So uh, make sure verses are applied. Don't do them out of context. Uh, arguments Amen. made without grace will be flagged, exceeding the, the shot clock, which we're going to move fast through these things, guys. <laughs> uh, and technical foul for personal attacks. Uh, if you're boring me, also, we'll move on. Everyone clear? <laughs> clear. Everyone's clear. The question is, gotcha. what are the Bible's guidelines on letting sinners into church? Oh, my goodness. Mm. Sinners into church, guys. What are the Bible's guidelines? Now, this is an old question. The Jewish leaders challenged Jesus for the company that he kept. And I think Mike's got a verse for us and how Jesus responded to that. Yep. In Luke 5, uh, 30-32, they asked Jesus, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Mm. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, people say Jesus is a crutch and I'm like, he's the whole hospital. You know, if I know I'm sick, I'm going and I ain't stopping you from going either. (laughs) James uh, 2, 3 and 4, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Mm. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Hmm. I'm going to take us to Corinthians. The church at Corinth was a hotbed of sin. There was, they were in Sin City at that time, but mm-hmm. the church had to be set apart. And But they struggled with this because they had a fellow who was coming to church who was just living out sin. So what do they do? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. In other words, Paul is saying, (laughs) hey, I said don't associate with sinners. I didn't mean everybody out there because that's impossible. You can't avoid sinners in this world. He says, verse 11, Mm. but now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler, do not even eat with such people. Mm. What he's saying is the real danger is not the sinner, but the hypocrite. Mm-hmm. The danger is not the worldly one who's out there. The church, you, you know the difference. You were there. But the danger is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Yes. The yeah. danger is the hypocrite who says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but they are living it up in sin. Mm-hmm. And, God, and Paul says, expel the wicked person from among you. Wow. Mike, you got another one for us. Yeah, uh, Jesus tells a story of two guys that go up to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee prays, you know, God, I thank you, God. I'm not like other people, cheaters, <laughs> sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. 
right? I fast, I give, I do this, that, etc. But the tax collector, knowing what, knowing what he's about, stands there at a distance. He doesn't even look up to heaven, and he beats his chest sorrowfully, it says, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, a mm. sinner. And Jesus says, This sinner, not the Pharisee, not the guy who thought he was righteous, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Nicely done. All right, I'm going to give us one more verse. I'm going to take us to James 5.19 because I want to give a little balance when I talked about expelling the immoral brother. James Mm. says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Mm, So there's a balance here. In fact, even Paul gives balance. In 1 Corinthians, he said, get rid of that guy who's not repentant, who won't listen, who keeps sinning. 2 Corinthians, Paul says, hey, that's enough. Some time passed. The guy was cast out, and he did repent. And Paul says, wait, you got to take him back now. And James backs him up and says, bring that person back. Well, that's, uh, that's all the time we got for the throwdown. Who won? Uh, God won. Yes, he did. He's, he's the big winner. <laughs> Every time. Grace always wins. The kahuna. I want to finish up our discussion and talk about the place where church meets recovery and why that's important. Making recovery a part of church. I'll, I'll share this first. I want to make sure I finish out my, my story about that trip to San Francisco. That, that mission trip really impacted my life. When I got to see the church planting itself right in the heart of Sin Central. And shining a light for God like I hadn't seen before. And that really impacted me. And I made a decision, particularly about my kids, because that's really where a lot of us draw the line is, Mm. well, wait, I I know I want to reach those people. I can't bring my my kids into a situation like that. Mm. And from there, what I saw, my my kids in my youth group were impacted like I'd never seen them impacted on a mission trip before. Because they got to be God's hands and feet to love sinners. That it wasn't just Jesus who went out among the sinners, that he brought the disciples as well. And they got to see life change front row. And I made a decision for for my own kids, not just the the kids I was pastoring, but for my own kids, that as they grow up, I want them to see the reality, the dark side of sin. Not not down in in the mess. I'm not like saying like, watch some porn so you can learn from it. No, that's ridiculous. I'm not not saying that, oh, have some drinks so you can learn how bad it is. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, see, when somebody's down and out as a result of sin, I want my kid to just have an instinct to see that stuff is bad, but those are the people we help. Right. And I can say my daughter who was seven, she's 21 now, I got no worries about her being tempted by drugs. She's seen the worst of it. She's got no interest in it, but she's not afraid of it either. She's not yeah. afraid to to walk in when, when somebody's hurting and tell that person God loves them. She's seen the ugliness of it, but... Yeah, she's seen the love come through. Yeah, and she's seen lives changed. Amen. So let's talk about let's talk about church a little bit. Mike, I want to ask you a, a question here for uh, for our church. It's kind of come naturally, but I got to say it didn't come naturally to me at first. So uh-huh. how can yeah. church make recovery a part of what it does? You had you were part of that at Refuge Long Beach. You're over at Group 99 in Stanton. Both of those churches, recovery is really at the heart of what they do. How right. can church do that in a way that it isn't like tucked away in a back room on a weeknight <clears throat> so no one will see? Thanks for asking that question. Uh, it's a really good one. I just 
would say pastors, you know, don't be afraid to get behind that kind of ministry and support it. Uh, sometimes, you know, if someone comes to you with a vision for outreach to the down and out, the outcasts, you know, the ragamuffins, you know, the those people, yeah. right? Get behind them, encourage them, you know, let the congregation know, like on your on your weekend and your midweek services, like that that kind of ministry is there and is available for people. You know, others in the church can get support, you know, for whatever bondage they're in. You know, they can seek uh, support and accountability and, 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 you know, the healing that God's word brings, right? That Jesus himself brings. And others can step up. Hey, I got a heart for that. Maybe I can help. They can step up and use their gifts, which is another thing you see naturally happening at Refuge. Um, and obviously, you know, like you're saying earlier, some things aren't for kids. Like I'm not going to take... You know, like when my daughter was little, I'm not going to take her like on one of those, we call them a 12-step call, you know, where I go to like a motel room where a guy's like barricading himself in there. He's got guns, he's got drugs, and paraphernalia, and he's not in his right mind. Like, I'm going to go there one-on-one and do that thing with him, and I'm going to pray with him. And, you know, the guy playing Russian roulette literally and calling for a crisis intervention is, I'm going in there alone, not with my family, right? Yeah. But... In other certain situations, I want to see my, I want my kids and my family to see the grace of God in action toward that person, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. And uh, as you're talking about family, let's talk family and recovery, recovery ministry. One of the reasons that I believe that church is so essential to a recovering addict is the reality that that recovering addict is not the only one who has been damaged by this sin. An entire family is impacted, always. Sin never just affects one person. And I think that drugs and alcohol, alcoholism in particular, you can see the impact. So talk to us about that. What what is it that a family needs and how can a church step in? The whole family needs healing. uh, And that healing is a process, right? And every process takes time, right? So sometimes that frustrates the addict. Sometimes it stresses out the loved one because... You know, on the one hand, we want our loved ones to believe things are going to be different this time, right? We're like, hey, I'm really changed this time, right? But I'm changed. I'm never going back to that, you know. Uh, uh, And as an addict, I got excited about my own growth pretty quickly, you know, early on. Um, But the family, sometimes they sit back. They got their arms crossed. They're tapping their foot. They're looking at their watch like, you know, I wonder how long before he screws up this time. You know what I mean? Come on, come on. And that's hard for the addict. That is hard for the person in recovery because every little bit of growth means something to them. And it might not mean the same to the family. They're like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll see. But, um, you know, or even worse, let's say the alcoholic husband goes to treatment. You know, his wife said, you know, get help or I'm divorcing you type of thing. And she can't figure out why she can have a glass of wine, you know, with dinner and be in bed by nine when this guy has that one glass of wine. He can't, he's having bottle after bottle and he can't stop. He'll be up all night either arguing with her or making a mess or going out and endangering himself, you know, behind the wheel or other people, possibly getting into trouble, getting arrested, getting in a fight, whatever, Uh, or even worse, a bad accident and a fatal accident. You know, well, the wife says, you need help. You know, I don't have a problem with that. And when he completes the program and he gets out and he goes home with a plan, right, but he's worked hard through some deep issues, right, in therapy, and uh, counseling, but the wife just wants to know, are you fixed now? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, did they fix you? And, like, you're good now, right? Like, you're okay. Because what, you know, she hasn't participated in the family counseling. She hasn't educated herself on alcoholism or joined a support group herself, like Al-Anon or something. And so she doesn't understand that this is a one-day-at-a-time thing for the rest of this guy's life, right? And so yeah. he'll always be where, in recovery, and that's okay, right? I think you know? that's where church comes in. Church provides ministry to a family. Right. In fact, church becomes family 
for everyone involved. Church becomes exactly. family for the addict. It can be family that hasn't already been hurt and scarred by all this, but can step in and be family, but also be family to the wife, the husband who who isn't there, or yeah. the mom. We uh, Just this week, uh, just this last Sunday uh, at church, we had a, a couple of great stories. Uh, Barbara, who we mentioned earlier, Barbara, who needed time to 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 recover for a while, kept coming to church without getting kicked out this time. Yeah. And we've seen her grow so much. It's been a couple of years now, and she's bringing people to church. This last Sunday, a friend, old friend of hers, gangbanger, who, who's mm-hmm. been in the mess for a while, showed up at church because she invited him. And the first time he came, he, he ran. He actually wouldn't even <laughs> get, get his chance to say hi because he was scared of church. Yeah. But she brought him back. And sometimes it's those people who've been through it, those who've been forgiven the most, who are going to love the most. And she Amen. brought him back. He came back, loved church, got connected. Same day, had a mom who who came in, who uh, who like brought her son, adult son, and they, it was just like a, it was one of those families. So I see coming to our church, and like almost want to apologize for the mess that our church is <laughs> because there are messy, messy lives yeah. make a mess of church yeah. sometimes. But they came in, loved it, and she was talking to me, and and you know it was kind of pleasantries for a little bit. She was real sweet, and she had heard us on, on through the word and. But then she she shared about her son was in a place where, and he didn't look it, but he needed recovery. He was in that place. And we were able to offer that to bring some healing for him and bring some some fellowship and healing for her. Amen. And, where, and he was almost like scared to, to say this is where he's at. You can't say these things in church. I was yeah. just able to say, man, you're welcome home. Right. There's a place for you. We're Amen. all healing. It's all around us. Right. Well, we're almost out of time. There's more issues. In fact, we are out of time. We are way out of time. We are way out of time. Mm. I wish we could talk about more. Mike, we're going to have to bring you back. You want to come back? Yes, sir. I'd love to. Brad, thanks for for sitting by us. Listeners. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the stories. You got any last words for us, Brad? Just it's a muddy world and we're called to love. We're, we're called to love. Amen. We're called to step out into it. The 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 reason we call this soul, I don't know if we've said this yes yet, but the reason that the podcast is called Soul, it, it's not S-O-U-L. This is S-O-L-E as in your footprint. Amen. It's, the world's a muddy place. We got to step out into it. What's your footprint look like? I want mine to be grace. I want mine to be the love of God. Muddy. That's what we're called to. <laughs> you're going to get yeah. some mud on your shoes while you're at it. But man, it's a beautiful thing to to bring the love of God out into the muddy world. That's why we wash each other's feet. <laughs> That's exactly man. I got we got to work this in. This is good. All right, we'll see you next time, guys. Thanks for thanks for Brad. tuning thanks, in to Chris. Soul. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Thank, Brad. Thank you. That's all for the Soul Podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the story. Join us next time as the conversation continues. You can subscribe wherever great podcasts are found, and you can find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S O L E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. Thanks, everyone. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Carrie Joy. Video by Michael Kincaid. Audio editing by Daisy Short. On behalf of the whole team at The Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story, now go talk about it. Share a post, tell a friend, start a conversation, and we'll see you in the next one. You've got to hear that story. Smile for the camera. Ready in the booth? I got a thumbs up.
Oh, God. Do the theme song. Four, three, two, one. <laughs>